This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. I had an opportunity to listen to a speech that was given by a leader in the art community. This speech was given in a local school during their Christian Emphasis Week. The speaker is a recipient of numerous awards and prizes. He is respected by our cultural elite. In his speech, he not only sought to tear to shreds the essence of the Christian faith. Indeed, he prided himself in his outright rejection of it. All of that to an impressionable minds, without any opportunity or equal opportunity for rebuttal. After listening to that speech, my mind eyes have wandered back after I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought of a man, another man that I had met. He was not powerful, hardly. He was not famous. Far from it. He was not rich or influential. In fact, he was a dry cleaner, ironing my clothes and my family's clothes. This man, after giving his life to the Lord, had a simple prayer. Lord God, I long to read your word. You see, he was illiterate. He was not educated. He could not read or write. And God supernaturally have answered that prayer. And this simple man would open the Bible and he would read it beautifully. And the same time you hand him over the newspaper and he could not make head or tail even of the big headlines. As I contrasted the two men, the powerful and the famous, with the nobody and the illiterate, My mind's eye soared forward to the day of judgment. And I thought of this prominent man when he dies in his unbelief. And then this unknown, unheard, unsung man die in the Lord Jesus Christ. I imagined the unbeliever coming into eternal hell and damnation. And he would react this way. I know why I'm here. I have rejected what I was taught to be the truth. I am here because I have refused to accept my father's teaching. No one put me here. I put myself here by my choice. For let me assure you, that's exactly what's going to happen in a day of judgment. No one is going to say to God, you've given me a raw deal, God. Because they will see it as it is. Then I thought of my friend. What would he say when he sees Jesus face to face? Jesus whom he loved. Jesus whom he believed. Jesus whom he trusted. Jesus whom he served. He's going to say, Jesus, you have kept your promise. Jesus, you have kept your word. Jesus, the devil tempted me not to trust you and not to trust in your promises. But I knew you'll keep your word. Jesus, my friends and my culture and my society, try to make me doubt your word. But I knew you're going to keep your promises. If the life of Abraham teaches us anything, 
It teaches us that God keeps His promise. Always. God never reneges on His promise. God is patient. Oh, He is patient. God is long-suffering. God is persevering. But He always keeps His promise. Turn with me as we begin this series of studies from the life of this man, Abraham. Beginning at Genesis 11, verse 24 to 12, 3. The first thing you notice about Abraham is this. That he was an ordinary man. He uttered no prophecy. He wrote no books. He composed no music. He sang no songs. His credentials were the least bit impressive. And I am certain he never wore a clerical collar. He was far from the limelight as you can get. He never got invited to the White House for dinner. He was never on anyone's cocktail list. And I'm sure he never given an interview to any of the networks. But he was available for God to use, and God used him. But he had one major problem. He was a pagan, comes from a pagan family. They're worshiping idols. And it does take a while for Abraham from the heir of Chaldeans to become Abraham, the friend of God. Abraham's folks in the heir of Chaldeans, which is actually near modern Iraq today, that's where they were from. They were called Habiri, and the word from which we get the Hebrews. And the Habiris means they were travelers. They traveled quite a bit. In fact, one scholar suggested that they were called thus because they were involved in renting camels and donkeys to the travelers. So, this is where you get your very first Ivers rent a camel. <laughs> Abraham's dad, Terah, had three boys. Abraham was the first, Haran and Nahor. As the boys grew up, Terah became very proud of his boys until tragedy struck. Haran died in his very arms. And as a result, Terah would become very possessive of his other two boys. It wasn't long before another tragedy was about to, to struck in old Terah's tent. Abraham got religious. <laughs> And he wants to leave home. He's called to the mission field. I know verse 31 of Genesis 11 said that Terah took Abraham, his son, into the land of Canaan. But listen, this is in keeping with hierarchical structure. They couldn't say the boy took his dad. It is the dad took the boy. But it was Abraham who was called of God to go to Canaan. But what happened? They get halfway... And then about halfway, this is a beautiful oasis town of Haran, and there they stay. I want to give you a Middle Eastern insight of how possibly this has all taken place. Are you ready for it? Abraham pops his head in the flap of his father's tent. He said, Can I come? I see you. And the father said, Yes. And after they sipped some of that dark coffee, Abraham said, Father, God. The creator of heaven and earth called me to leave home and go to Canaan. And here's how a Middle Eastern father would react. <laughs> what? 
And you leave your poor old dad? <laughs> you mean you're going to desert your father who have been good to you? <laughs> Who's going to take care of me in my old age? I don't trust Nahor, he's a scatterbrain. <laughs> you're going nowhere, son, without me. <laughs> now, parents, I want to tell you an aside here. You have to let your child, when he or she matures, when they become an adult, you have to let them go. Your possessiveness of the life of your adult son and your adult daughter is not healthy for them. It's not healthy for you. I have 40-year-old sat in my office and said, I can't do that because my parents don't want me to do that. Listen, the scripture is very clear. A man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And it's the same for the woman to leave her father and mother and cleave to her husband. Any parents who start manipulating their lives, children, and try to get them to do what they want them to do after they've grown up and become adults is wrong. Why do you think God called Abraham to leave the Ur of Chaldeans? One of the reasons is to get him away from idol worship. is to get him away from his godless family. And his godless friends. And his bad company. And when God calls you to himself, the first thing he wants you to do, he wants me to do, is to get away from immorality of the past. To get away from the addiction of the past. To get away from the bad habits of the past. To get away from the wrong crowd of the past. So the next day, Abraham comes home from work. And here, his father, Terah, had everything packed. Where are you going, Father? Whatever your God is telling you, I'm with you. Wherever you go. Oh, really? Verse 31. So they get going on their way to Canaan. But on the way, they get to this beautiful oasis. And Terah says, I'm not going any further. <laughs> Why? You see, in Terah, there was a great temple for the moon god. And Terah saw this and he got so excited. <laughs> I mean, he saw this temple of the moon there and he thought he died and went to heaven. So he said to Abraham, he said, son, I came with you this far, but no further. But dad, God said to go to Canaan. Oh, this is as good as Canaan. <laughs> it's one city as good as the other. One problem. Very simple problem. That is not where God set for him to be. How many times have you and I settled for something short of God's perfect plan for our lives? How many times have we come to the point of our spiritual journey and say, this is it, we're not going any further. How many times have you come to your end of your resources and say to yourself, this is where I will settle. And God is saying, no, I want to take you further. I want to take you beyond this point. I want to move you further. I want you to look upward and highward. Don't settle in the harem in your life. Don't let fear keep you from going further. Don't let fatigue stop you from progressing. Don't let your spiritual laziness stop you from going into Canaan. Don't let the outward attraction of the valley stop you from climbing the mountain of God. There are lessons that's to be learned as you keep on going. There are glories that can only be seen as you obey perfectly my will. And God is saying to us, 
I want to take you from your comfort zone. I want to move you further with me, into intimacy with me. That is my desire, the desire of my heart. That is why I called you to myself. God is saying, I want to show you that I can provide for you. God is saying, I want to show you that I can set a table in the middle of the wilderness. God is saying, I want to show you that I can rain manna from heaven. God is saying that I can command the ravens to feed you. God is saying, I want to show you that in the middle of the fiery furnace, I can walk with you. That in the middle of the den of lions, I can be with you. Are you hung up in Haran? Are you unwilling to take the step? That will separate you from the wrong friends, from the wicked institutions, from the harmful influences. Is your life cluttered with improper priority? Are you continuing to plead the promises of God with one side of your mouth and then breaking every biblical principle with the other? And wonder, what's wrong with me? What is happening to me? Abraham, at this point of his life, embodies the life of the stagnant Christian. The stagnant Christian. And he stopped in his condition for six years. For six years, Abraham was marred in the murky water of partial obedience. Oh, God forbid that I would be caught in that partial obedience obedience. Abraham did not accomplish much for the Lord in those six years. I want to tell you something. Remember, revival does not come because people want it. Revival does not come as long as everybody is waiting for it to start with the next person. Revival will come when you and I shake off our partial obedience. Finally, when Terah dies, God renews his call upon Abraham's life. And in chapter 12, the first three verses, God gives Abraham a sevenfold blessing. A sevenfold blessing. I could spend one sermon on each of these, but I realize that the attention span would not last. I'm not saying whose. At this point, Abraham was 75 years old. He's an old man. And God was saying to him, Abraham, get off your blessed assurance. Take up where you've left off six years ago. Please listen to me very carefully. As long as you are breathing, it is never too late. Abraham was 75. God said, pick up where you left off. Get going. And Abraham gets excited at the renewal of God's call. And he goes to Nahor, his brother. He said, guess what, brother Nahor? That's a use of translation, but it makes the point. This time he's not listening to pagan advice. For God has spoken. Here, what are these sevenfold promises? Well, first, God said, I will make you a great nation. Secondly, I will bless you. Thirdly, I will make your name great. Fourthly, I shall make you a blessing. Fifthly, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. In you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves or be blessed. 
Look at the first promise. God will make him a great nation. Think about it. Abraham was an old man. The whole world knows that Sarah is barren. She can't bear children. And God said, I will make you a great nation. As we shall see later on in the series of sermons from the life of Abraham and Sarah, both of them, when their faith faltered, when their faith began to fail, they both tried to help God in their ways. Abraham said, well, God, I got Eliezer here, this man who's from Syria. He's the chief of staff in my house. He said, I will adopt him and his children will inherit me. I'll help you fulfill your promise. That was a custom of those days. It was not unusual. Sarah, on the other hand, thought to help God her own way. God, I tell you what I'm going to do to help you out, God. I'm going to give Hagar, my maid, to Abraham, which was also a custom of those days. Don't forget, this is the pagan world we're dealing with. They didn't have a Bible, didn't have preachers. God is dealing with pagan people who are living in pagan society. They want to help God out. But neither could help God. Why? You know why? Because God doesn't need any help in fulfilling His promises. All He wants is unconditional obedience. That's all He wants. Secondly, He said, I will bless you. Boy, I reflected upon this. Do you know what it means to live under the blessing of God? Do you know what it means? It means that God will look out for you. It means that God will move on your behalf. It means that God will concern Himself with your life and what concerns you. It means that God desires to bless you. That is the desire of His heart. It is only when you and I run away from His shadow, when you and I run away from His shelter, cause ourselves all kinds of trouble and pain. Later on, Moses explained what God means by this blessing in Deuteronomy 28, 13. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall be above only and not beneath if you heed the commands of the Lord your God, which I command you today. My friend, when you know the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of your life, you are the descendant of Abraham by faith. And God's promises to Abraham are yours. Thirdly, God will make Abraham's name great. Isn't it like the Lord, you know, to take this obscure man from the Ur of Chaldeas? He's a nobody. Nobody ever heard of him. And he leads him out of the land, away from his people, even his father's house. And then he makes nearly three and a half billion people around the world all clamoring to be associated with him. (laughs) The Jews by race, the Christians by faith, and the Muslims through Ishmael. Fourthly, Abraham is to be a blessing. You see, it is one thing to receive the blessing of God. It is one thing to enjoy the blessing of God. And it's totally another thing for you to be a blessing to others. God never blesses so we can bask in His blessing. That is not the way God works. That's not the character of the God of the Scripture. God's way of blessing is that we may be a blessing to others. Abraham was blessed, why? In order that he may be a blessing to many. 
God does not intend to stop with us. No. I want to tell you, young people, you know that every day of my life, I pray that God would raise a Billy Graham, that God would raise a Spurgeon, that God would raise a Mother Teresa, that God would raise men and women from the Sunday school classrooms to the youth groups to everywhere in the church because I know that God placed us here so that others might be blessed that we don't even know. God does not want to stop with us. He wants to channel, wants us to channel His blessings. And the faster we channel His blessings, the faster He keeps pouring it in. And the faster we channel it, the faster He'll pour it in. And the fifth and the sixth, in the sevenfold blessings, He said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. That needs an explanation. Why did God call Abraham? Why Abraham? Because of his good looks? I rather doubted. Because of his intelligence? I got news for you. God could have done much better in Egypt. <laughs> I mean, they were doing high math and calculus when the rest of the world banging on their chest, you know. <laughs> and I'm not biased. <laughs> It wasn't his looks, wasn't his intelligence. But God called Abraham, a man chosen by God, to be an instrument of fulfilling God's purpose for the world. That's it. And those who align themselves with the purpose of God will come under his blessing. And those who refuse to align themselves under the purpose of God will experience His curse of judgment. This this is a universal principle. Just mark it down. God does not curse anybody in the sense of looking down from heaven and hollering some, some, some thunderbolts and fits of anger. No. Listen. Judgment is the other side of mercy. God's curse is the other side of blessing. You and I have a choice. We really do. These individuals that I've contrasted in the beginning of the sermon had a choice. Go with God and know His blessing. Go against God and know His curse. It's the same applied to young people and coming under the godly parents, coming under their authority. There's a blessing in that. Now, if I tell you to drive the car and go out of this driveway at 35 miles an hour and turn left, and then there you get into that shopping center, and you do that, and you reach your destination. And at the same time, I say, now, but if you go down this driveway at 99 miles an hour, you're going to crash in the wall of the freeway. And if you decide to say, well, I'm not sure really he's right about that. I'm going to try my way. And you go down and you crash in the wall. Listen, would you blame me? There are too many people going around blaming God. God cannot be blamed. We who make the choice. God said, choose as a blessing or choose a curse. Which one do you choose? God cannot be blamed for that. You have to bear the consequences of your choice. God sets the road before you and you make the choice. 
And the seventh blessing, he said, all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. What does that mean? The Lord is saying this. One day I'm going to be bringing into the world someone who's a physical descendant of you, Abraham. And when he comes, he's going to bring blessings to the whole earth. Jesus, the son of Abraham, is the fulfillment of the covenant promises. And anyone who will come to him will be blessed. Anyone who will reject him will be cursed. Anyone who will reject him will experience the judgment of God. And I want to tell you, this is valid in America. It is valid in Asia. It is valid in Europe. It is valid in Africa. It is valid in every continent and everywhere where there is a breath. Intimacy with God and the experiencing of the blessing of God and witnessing the fulfillment of the promises of God requires obedience. No, it requires unconditional obedience to God. Let's pray. Father, forbid it that we would shrink from unconditional obedience. Father, forbid it that we may be tempted to fall into partial obedience. Give us your Holy Spirit in a measure today that we may Seek you above all else. That our eyes might turn to you. In repentance, in faith, and in holiness, and in righteousness. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.